Build the Trades podcast, where we help trades and men and women out there grow through leadership development. And today, I have a very special guest. I have Josh Zolan. He's the owner of Windy City Equipment, also a podcaster, fellow podcaster, speaker, author, and he has written the book, uh, Blue is the New White. And today, we're going to be talking all about um, just some of the tangible benefits of getting into the trades. You know, a lot of times it's it's monetary, right, Josh? But today we're going to really dive into some of the other tangible reasons why the trades is such a great space to to come into and to invest a career here. So, Josh, welcome to the show. Dan, man, thanks for thanks for having me. Uh, as your listeners probably know by now, you've been on my show, yeah. you know, and uh, and I'm excited to uh, to come on yours and you know just answer some questions and hopefully uh educate some people out there man good good man yeah josh we have a lot in common you know i, I mean uh, for people who don't know who you are i definitely encourage them to go check out your podcast and check out more about what you do because the, the as you're going to hear today in the podcast your message is spot on um you and i share some very similar values and uh you know, we're also both fellow tradesmen. So if you don't mind, let's, let's start off with your story a little bit. Uh, just share with the audience kind of how you got started in the trades and, and the, the path to where you're at today. All right, cool. How far back you want me to go, Dan? Because I've lived a couple of lives. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's go as far back as you want to go. You know, I mean, it's it, I think it's important to get to know who you are and, and kind of what's gotten you to where you're at today, because as we know, it's not all perfect and great and um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, I think that, you know, a little side note here, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine yesterday and, uh, he asked me just kind of, you know, Dan, you know, you're only, I, I'm a month older. This is really a side note, but I'm going to say I'm a month older than you and, and you really seem to have it all together. And I really don't, you know, and we're friends at a distance. So we're not like, he doesn't live in my town or anything. And I just responded with like, look, dude. I don't have my stuff together. At the end of the day, deep down inside, nobody really has everything together, right? We all have our challenges. And I said, uh, you know, I've referred to social media as being the enemy of one of, of that, right? It shows us perfect <laughs> life. Everybody thinks we have it all together, but the reality is we don't. And um, so anyways, side story there, but that's just a realization is we have similar stories, but you're about to share your story. So yeah, share it. Go back as far as you want to go. All right, so so I'll take you uh, I'll take you back to high school because it's a it's a little different, um, kind of my my upbringing. Obviously, for those who know uh, Blue is the New White and the message behind Blue is the New White, you know I make a a, a point to talk hopefully intelligently about college, right? And and really what the ROI of a college education is and how to approach that uh, and how that differs from the approach today where a lot of people are just pushed in that direction. You know, you and I know a lot about that too. But um, so anyway, I want to preface it with that. I grew up uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, right? So I spent most of my time in the Midwest. I was actually born in California. There's a whole story behind that, but I'm not going to get into that part of it. But spent most of my life in Kenosha, Wisconsin and, uh, on a farm, but it wasn't a typical farm. It was actually a, a school where we taught people how to break into the stunt industry. So, um, yeah. So really? for those those who don't know my legacy, you know, from uh, my, my mom's side, uh, my grandfather, my uncles and my mom and actually my dad at at one point were all stunt people in the film industry. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. So um, my grandfather was Chongo on the Banana Splits Hour, Hanna Barbera, back in you know back in the day. He doubled for Charles Bronson. He was one of the first stunt people to really call themselves stunt people. You know, back when they were making that transition from cowboys to to stunt people, mm-hmm. and um, so he paved the way for for that industry. So that was the family business. So growing up, I was the kid in high school that was jumping off buildings, lighting himself on fire. I rolled my first car before I had a driver's license, you know, and so that's kind of what set me apart, right? That was my identity in high school. I was the, I was the stunt guy. I mean, <laughs> shit, my first car, the license plate said J stunts, you know, because that was, oh, that was, that was me. And uh, that's all I knew, right? I, I've been doing that since I was two, three years old. I was jumping off shit, you know, and wow. um so, so that was, that was my identity. And, and I was very vocal in, in high school about how that's what I was going to do the rest of my life. I wasn't going to go to college. I didn't need to go to college. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know the first thing about the trades, right. And growing up, I just, I just knew that I was going to be in the movies and, you know, I was going to be a thrill seeker. So once I turned 18, you know, I was always very independent. So I, uh, I jetted back off to, uh, to Hollywood and, um, Spent the first portion of my career as a uh, as a stuntman for uh, for the movies. And um, long story short, I, I I ran into a little bit of uh, an identity crisis, right? Because stunts was who who I was. That was that was Josh. You know, that's all I knew. Um, but at the end of the day, I wasn't super happy with it. Um, number one, it hurt which I wasn't a big fan of, yeah. you know, and, it, I, you know, and I'm looking at my uncles and stuff like that. And my, my, my grandfather, and they're all limping around. I mean, they've all, you know, they were rag dolls. And at the end of the day, that's what bothered me most was I was a rag doll for somebody that uh, the industry deemed more important than me. I was the guy that they put in. So that guy wouldn't get hurt. and and you know it took me a long time to realize that that's not exactly how i define success that's not what i wanted i wanted to be the guy you know call it call it ego or call it whatever you want i just i didn't want to be the guy behind the scenes so i had always had an entrepreneurial spirit even growing up doing the stunts and stuff like that i was i was the kid that was um you know remember these county roads and farms, I would ride my bike all down the county roads, knocking on doors, just offering to move rocks for people or till the land or dig holes, whatever I could do for an extra buck. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, while I was in California doing the stunt thing, my dad had gotten out of the stunt industry and moved to Arizona to start um, a restaurant equipment repair company. Um, which I didn't know the first thing about, right? He had uh, he had kind of developed some skills uh, after working for a, a bakery in Chicago after he had gotten out of the stunt industry. So uh, I called him up one day after uh, one of the jobs that I did uh, that hurt a lot. <laughs> and I said, Dad, listen, I uh, I don't know what the hell you do for a living, you know, but I think I'm done out here and, and I want to come out and work with you because number one, you can't, uh, you can't do this your entire life on your hands and your knees. It was just him, right? It was, he called it a company, but it was Joel fixing stuff. That's, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I I know that there's opportunity in it because you're busy. And so, you know, I want to come in, I want to learn it. And, uh, and the condition is that we, we grow the hell out of it. And, um, that's exactly what happened. So, I mean, literally that weekend, I think it was three days later, I packed up my apartment in California, 
headed east to sunny Arizona and um, got an apartment here. And from from that day, you know, he taught me how to be a mechanic uh, from day one. That was uh, that was that was the lesson, right? Is um, there's going to be no riding coattails. There's going to be no handouts, right? My dad's an old school guy, so if I wanted to learn the business, that means I had to uh, I had to get my hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And so that was my that was my introduction into the trade. And I'll I'll stop there in case you have uh, any questions about that. I do. Yeah, I was just thinking. Um, I thought we had a lot in common, but. We don't exactly, well, <laughs> except for I do point. like, I do, I do like extreme stuff, but never been a stunt man. Um, yeah, I, I, I have a curious question about this, the stunt industry. So like, what's one of the craziest things that you have done um, in the stunt in the stunt? Arena? Crazy is relative, you know? Um, I, I don't know. It's it what crazy has a different term to me like uh, okay so for dangerous for, i guess we'd say yeah so for um for an english project junior year we had to make a how to video okay. and uh i uh, i made a how to video on how to light yourself on fire properly the school system did not like that at all <laughs> uh, even though they knew what i did for a living but i mean that's the, we call it a fire gag in the industry, and it's one of the most dangerous things because you rely on a lot of people, you know, to make sure that once you're done igniting yourself, that they put you out in a timely manner. Otherwise, yeah, you know, you could get some good burns out of it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I've I've done that a handful of times. Um, the most nerve wracking for me was probably uh, the high falls, jumping off the buildings, right, and you know. You 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 jump into an airbag uh, that's that's usually you know twenty feet long by fifteen feet wide and stands about ten feet high, right? So it's a big it's a big bag. But I'm going to tell you something, Dan. When you're up five stories, fifty feet, that bag looks about mm, that big, and there's a little <laughs> tiny X in the middle of it, right? And oh uh, and so that's the most nerve wracking because you have to work your way up, right? And and yeah. You know, when you when you finally jump at 50 feet and you realize there's no turning back now, I'm I'm falling. <laughs> you know, I hope I calculated correctly. And then, you know, that anxiety just rides with you the entire way down until you hit that bag. So, you know, uh, I, I don't know if that's the most you know dangerous or what, but that's that's what I remember. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty nerve wracking there. And. Hey, you know, anybody that's been around a movie set knows that like one take is usually not all it takes. Usually it's like multiple, like do it again, do it again, do it again. So is that the case with stunt people? Do you have to do it over and over again? <laughs> Can I tell you the story of, of remember I said after I did one particular job, I made the decision to, to leave yeah. the stunt yeah. business. Okay. So yeah. that job was for, I don't know if you remember the cell phone company called Altel, Altel Wireless. Um, so anyway, they, they had these commercials where, you know, it was the Alltel guy and then they had the T-Mobile guy, the Verizon guy, the AT&T guy, you know, and they were all wearing different color shirts, whatever. Um, this particular commercial, uh, they were all standing on the sidelines and I was doubling the T-Mobile guy. And uh, at the end of the the uh, commercial, they were standing on the, the sidelines of a football field and they were like gawking at cheerleaders or whatever. You know, um, I forget what the actual context of the commercial was, but at the end of the day, the T-Mobile guy throws his hands down and goes, man, how could this day get any worse? And then right then and there, he gets pummeled by a football player, right? Catching a ball. 
And so, spoiler alert, that that T-Mobile guy was me. And <laughs> I was in that position because I knew how to fall. I knew how to get hit, right? That's yes. the life of a stuntman. So this football player, right, was in full pads, full gear. Dude was probably like a deuce 50, right? He was yeah. a big guy running full speed and plowed into me, right? I had no pads on, no nothing. I just knew how to fall. That was it. So we did this take probably 15 times, just bam, 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 over and over again. And oh by the God. end of it, I'm like, I'm dizzy. You know, I'm I'm seeing shit and I'm just like, God. So, you know, all all part of the 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 life of a stuntman, right? So listen, I got paid handsomely for it, which is fine. But I went home and I was waiting for the commercial to air because I always like to see it. Finally saw it air. And I realized in that moment that they used the very first take that we did. The uh, very <laughs> first one. So that means 14 of my hits <laughs> completely in vain. Right. And at that point I was like, this isn't me. I can't, I can't do it. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, to answer your question. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That sounds, that, that, that really sounds painful. It sounds like somebody was getting a little bit of a amusement out of your pain there. Yeah. I try not to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it, 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 when I was when I was just doing some prep work for the podcast, I came across a little paragraph that you had written, and it says, "I believe that nothing in life worth having comes easy. The quickest, most efficient way to achieve your goals and dreams is to work for it, day in and day out, as hard as you can, for as long as you can." And it says, "Life is short, so if you want to make a difference, start now." I believe in integrity and honesty in business and in life. If you're not strong enough to tell the truth you're not strong enough to succeed. So that right there is, is an awesome statement and, and very moving, but I know that you don't just come by that naturally. So like I, we're to that story where you start to work with your dad, but um, was that instilled with you early on or is that something that you started to learn when you, when you started working with your dad in the, in the equipment business? Um. I'm going to have to probably credit that to my dad. Listen, he and my mom split when I was young. And so I had, uh, you know, two influential sides of the family, you mm-hmm. know, and it was kind of a, a bit of a yin and a yang in 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 that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't get too deep into it, but yeah, those are my dad's values instilled, you know, into me. And I didn't get a chance to uh, to spend a lot of time with him growing up, which is, I think, why we uh, work so well together now. And when, you know, when I did come into the business, mm-hmm. we never had the typical um you know, father son uh, disputes that you hear about, you know, we, we always worked pretty well together, but yeah, his philosophy was very much, um, you know, work oriented and, uh, and, and, and really once I started working in the trades uh, is when I, I truly adopted that mindset. I had it. I just didn't know what to call it. Right. Cause even when I was in California, you know, doing the stunt thing. I was hustling sets and, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, I was the one out there, you know, trying to find what movies they were shooting. So I could just shake the hand of the stunt coordinator. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know what, what really I was doing. I was just going off of instinct. And, um, and then once, once I started working in the trades and side by side with my dad and he was, you know, kind of talking to me about some of these philosophies, that's when it clicked, you know, and, and I'm, I'm glad that it did. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So let, let, let's let's start off there. I mean, so you moved to Arizona, 
you started with your dad and it sounds like there was no freebies given to you. You just had to start working with your hands. How was your dad when you, when you, you know, came there and, and, and you started pushing growth? Was that like instantly that you started going after growth in the business or, or did it take some time to kind of get to that point? It's a good question. Uh, it took some time to get to that point. You know, the, the growth that I experienced uh, when coming into the trades and coming into the business was all personal, right? Mm-hmm. I had never turned a wrench before, not in any, you know, professional capacity anyways, you know, mm-hmm. probably fucking around with something at some point when I was young, but I can't even in good conscience say that it developed any skills within me. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, I came into it as green as you can imagine. And I had to uh, really just pour my heart and soul into learning the trade and what I was doing and how to, how to fix this equipment, how to use the tools, you know, uh, before I could even contemplate growing the rest of the business. So I spent, uh, probably a good five years or so just honing those skills before I even looked in another direction as far as, uh, how to grow the company. Okay. So coming into there, being the owner's son, was that a hurdle that you had to overcome at a certain point? Yeah. Sounds like you uh, know something about that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think it's, yeah, it looks different for everybody, right? And then this is a yeah. great topic in leadership because there's a lot of people listening that may be an owner's son or an owner's daughter. And, yeah. and naturally, you know, your story is a little different, but naturally mine kind of progressed uh, into the family business where, um, you know, and, and so the, I think everybody has that story who's overcome it, a story of overcoming it, you know? And so yeah. I'm, just, I'm just curious what that looked like for you as you so grew the business. For the, so the first five years, I didn't have a name. My name was Joel's son. That was, <laughs> that was, that was my, that was my name. Right. And, uh, uh and because all the customers listen at that point, you know, they didn't call Windy City, they called Joel. Uh, and so, yeah. you know, when, when he brought me into the business, they were like, Hey, who the hell is this kid? Oh, that's Joel's son. And so, you know, that's, that's what I was known as for a long time is Joel's son. And, you know, you talk about, uh, working hard and consistency and integrity and honesty and, mm-hmm. and, you know, what changed that for me was remaining consistent, Right. And, and that's, uh, I'll, I'll say till I'm blue in the face that, you know, the secret to success is, is in the consistency. Um, because it just, you know, I kept showing up, I kept showing up, I kept showing up, mm-hmm. you know, and every time I showed up, I was, I was able to complete my job, you know, and eventually that garners respect, you know, um, when you're, when you're working for people that are, you know, expecting you to, to be able to do this stuff. And so, yeah, you're going to, you're going to mess up and you're going to make mistakes, but, um, I'll argue to the, I'm blue in the face that, um, it's not the mistakes you make, it's how you respond to them. Right. And, and I made a very, uh, valiant effort that when I made a mistake that I was going to learn from it and I wouldn't make it again. Hmm. And so you, you, you string enough of those together and then slowly I went from Joel's son to Oh, Josh is here. <laughs> and that was, that was a good feeling, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. That's it. I, yeah. If I could just pause what you said a few minutes ago about remaining consistent. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that I talk about is just, you know, if you're going to implement anything, it needs to be sustainable and needs to be consistent because it builds credibility in your, in your leadership. And that's exactly what you're saying is, 
you know, as you were growing up in the business and people were seeing you as the owner's son, those mistakes you made could have easily knocked you back down and you could have walked away from it or you could have digressed because of it. But instead you showed up again and like, wow, this, this kid must be serious. You know, he's coming back Mm -hmm. and he wants to keep learning. So that starts to build respect. Well, and I want to point out if I could just, Mm -hmm. you know, cause, cause you make a good point. Like it, it very much could have pushed me out of the business. It very much could have, you know, just hit my ego so hard that, you know, I quit. And I think that does happen to a lot of people. And, and listen, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that you're going to have those days, right. Where your ego is going to get hit. You're going to have those days where you're questioning whether or not you want to do this at all. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, sometimes it's just not going to make sense. You're not going to know where, where the hell you're going. And that's when the consistency takes over. Right. And, and it can also be viewed as discipline. You know, I'm, I'm a big Jocko Willink fan. So, you know, I believe that discipline trumps motivation every single time. So even if you have those feelings, even if you have one foot out the door and you say, I can't do this, you got to stop, man. And you got to ask yourself, did you really give it as much as you've got like, do you know what your limit is? Have, have you actually pushed that? If not, you better put that foot back in the door and get back to work. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because otherwise, it's just going to become the story of your life, man. That's true. That's true. Um, the guy I was talking to recently shared this with me. I thought it was really powerful. But he said as he's he's moving into a new venture in his life and he's taking some big risk in a, in a new business and he said, uh, you know, I, I I have to sit down when I'm making a big decision like this and just imagine my future self and where I'm at in the next few years. Just thinking about, you know, this decision I'm going to make and, and what it looks like in the next few years. And he said, uh, you know, regret is something that you can't overcome, but failure is. And so I asked myself, if I don't make this decision, thinking about my future self, will I regret it? And usually if he says he will regret it, that's when he goes, he'll go ahead and move forward with that decision. And so it's kind of a powerful thought to think about that um, as you navigate through life. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, he, Jocko also talks about discipline equaling freedom and, um, and we can't expect to wake up every day and be motivated to, to go work out or to read a book or to journal or go to work or whatever it is that we're doing that we know consistency over time is going to, is going to equal that freedom or that success that we want in our lives. So that's good stuff. Well, Josh, let's fast forward to where you're at today now in, in Windy City. And and now that we know kind of where you started, what is it? What does a business look like today? So today uh, we have four branches. We service not only commercial cooking equipment, which is what I, which is what my background is in. We also do commercial HVAC, commercial refrigeration. Um, so our branches are Phoenix, Tucson, Albuquerque, and Houston, Texas. Mm. I believe we have uh, about 70 employees now. Wow. Um, 40 of which are probably technicians. Uh, I haven't done the actual count, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and it's been a ride, man. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, you know, uh, when I from when I first started, we were working out of my dad's garage, you know, and I still remember, um, you know, doing doing work out of uh, out of his front room, you know, trying to keep the dogs quiet while I was talking to customers on the phone, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, and it's just every single year, it everything compounded, you know, once I started to get my arms around the business and 
and uh, and and really understand what it was that I was doing and the opportunity that existed. And and we slowly brought on more employees, more employees. Which listen to where we are. Uh, I need to credit my entire team with that, right? And mm-hmm. I want I want to make sure that I say that on this podcast because you know, looking back on some of the stuff that uh, that I've done, I don't think I've given enough credit to to what they've done to help us achieve what we've achieved. And to put that into perspective, in the years 2018, 19, and 20, we landed on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America, um, and that was three years in a row. So I certainly didn't do that alone. My dad didn't do that alone. It took a, took a team of, uh, highly motivated individuals that shared a lot of the same philosophies when it came to, uh, work, you know? Yeah, that's the man, Josh, that's, uh, yeah, that's spot on. I mean, giving the team the credit because they are the reason why you are successful. And, um, so I, I, I want to, I want to wrap up, talk about Windy City and dive into the book a little more. Uh, but before we do, people listening, you're probably wondering, okay, I, I don't know how he got from um, being a technician, working for his dad to now having 70 people on the team. Um, was there one thing that you did that you feel like was like one of the biggest factors in moving you towards that growth? It's a good question. Um and I know there's probably a lot of factors, but sometimes there's just like this one where you're like, I hired this person or I did this thing or, you know, I went to this conference and it really changed the way I was thinking and it grew my business. Yeah, there's a couple. Um, I've always been a very um, highly motivated person. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I, you know, I was born with drive and I'm grateful every day for that. And I know that's not the same for, for everybody. So I've always had big aspirations, you know, and sometimes I just work so long and so hard. I don't even really know where I'm going with it. I just know that I'm going in a, in the right direction. And that was a big part of it. Um, the other part of it was, uh, the, uh, I should say another part of it, um, as far as how I did it is I, I, again, I I like to push myself to the limit. Mm -hmm. So in everything that, uh, that I've done, and as you know, right, when you work through this kind of stuff, you wear a lot of hats, Mm -hmm. right. And, and anybody in this position knows that they wear a lot of hats through the growth. And I was never willing to take one of those hats off and give it to somebody else until something else that I was doing another hat started to suffer. Right. But I would push myself to the limit, even if that work meant working 16, 18, 20 hours a day, you know, until finally I said, okay, I can't do this hat anymore. I've got to give it to somebody else. Hmm. And I did that for every single hat that I wore. And now fast forward to today, I'm in more of a coaching position, a coaching role with the team where I can advise on that. The last thing that I'll say is in 2015, is when we opened up our HVAC and refrigeration division. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did bring in a brilliant mind uh, to head up that department, mm-hmm. um, which was, again, you know, a big part of our growth as well, being offer, uh, able to offer those additional trades. So definitely credit, again, to 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 him and what he brought to the table. Um, you know, but there's there's a lot of different factors. Those are the ones that stand out. So if I'm wearing a lot of different hats, what tells me that I'm wearing too many hats and it's time to delegate? Like, was there a certain exercise you did that told you that? Or was it just uh, a- Yeah, it was counting my mistakes, but <laughs> You know, I mean, really, that's that's what it was, is, is when I started to make 
mistakes on what I was doing, whether it was talking to customers on the phone, scheduling, quoting, ordering parts, you know, um, whatever it may be. When I started to make mistakes, I knew that I had too much. And then I had to take a step back and recognize, okay, where, where are my, my efforts um, mostly dedicated right now? And what's the easy, easiest thing to teach? So I took that and then, you know, brought on somebody to run the parts department or do the scheduling or, you know, balance the books or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, Josh, uh, it's, uh, it's hard to know how many hats you're wearing until you actually define what each hat looks like. And, you know, and what I mean by that is, is, um, uh, you know, a lot of people, I encourage everybody to do this actually, to just draw out an organizational chart. Uh, just to the best of your abilities on a whiteboard, right? And then once you draw it out, don't think about who's doing what first. Just write the positions in each area and then go next to it and write your name down to different hats that you're wearing. And the the funny thing is, especially in an owner man or manager role, is you will actually start to see the shape of a bottleneck in yeah. your business, right? Like you'll see that from the top kind of moving its way down, it'll start to show that, hey, I'm literally the bottleneck in my business, that's not allowing it to grow because I'm wearing five hats and I should only be wearing three hats this time. Right. And then as you get bigger, that hat becomes one hat ultimately is a goal. Um, but uh, anyways, just wanted to share that picture with everybody yeah. out there. So that's good. That's man. good advice. I like that. So let's, let's switch gears a little bit because I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this whole idea of blue is a new white and, uh, and what you talk about in your book and, you know, you preface it with, you know, even in my generation growing up, I was pushed to go to college. That's where the most success was going to be, the most money, um, so on and so forth, even to the point where uh, my brother and I are both tradesmen. We had a, a, a specific teacher who told us we would never be successful being a tradesman. And, um, you know, thank God we didn't choose to believe that. But that does play an influential role in kids growing up. And so, um, you know, it. I want to talk more about that because really what's being preached right now is, you know, the trades are becoming more prevalent coming to the trades. Right. But what's tied to that is money. And and I know that money doesn't bring happiness. Right. That's your sole focus. It's very fleeting because if you're not happy where you're at today, you're not going to be happy where you're at tomorrow because it's just never going to be enough. So let's take the audience through a little bit about your book. And I, I know I kind of prefaced it a little bit, but let's dive more into that. And then I want to I want to dive more into some of the tangible things that you talk about that are beneficial as somebody's comes comes into a trade a trade career. Yeah, absolutely. So just a, a high level, you know, I wrote the book for the purpose that you just mentioned, right? And and I was I was I was part of that too, man. Like when I was in high school, yeah, I was vocal about not going to college, but it wasn't because I knew what the trades were. Nobody told me what the trades were. Nobody told me that a plumber could make a hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, I mean, it was the same thing when I was in high school. Everybody was pushing you towards a college education, you know, but they didn't really know why. All they could say was that's your best chances of success. Well, and my thing is, Dan, is how do you know what I consider success? That's mm. that's not my thing. Like, you know, it's not money for everybody. It's not, you know, the three bedroom, two bath house with the white picket fence, the two and a half kids and, and, and the golden retriever. You know, that's not everybody's vision. That's not everybody's dream. And so, 
you know, and, and listen, I've got nothing against college. If you can, if you can find an ROI from it, if, if the profession that you know you want to be a part of requires a college education, by all means, go for it. You know, I mean, you, you have to, but my thing is how can anybody know what their options are if they're not being told? So that's what the book is about. Right. And, and I didn't know this until I started to get into the trades, right. Once we started to bring on employees and stuff like that, I started to realize what I was up against. What do you mean you're making 30 bucks an hour? What do you mean you've got full benefits? What do you, what do you mean? You, you know, you've got all these perks, like, how am I supposed to match that? And luckily we found ways, but it led me to, to, uh, uh, you know, kind of do more research on, on what I was doing and I couldn't find anything out there. Right. There was nothing out there that says, you know, th these are the trades and this is what you can expect. And, you know, these are all the benefits and the opportunities and the trajectories, nothing like that existed. So that was the reason behind writing the book. And I wanted to do it in a way that could speak to students Right, but still be um, informative enough to where educators and influencers of these students couldn't deny the credibility, um, and that's a very tough line to walk when you're talking to high school students. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, so so that's really the overview, and and I really try to get into challenging people uh, about the idea of a college education. How much does it cost? What can you realistically expect as, as an ROI, you know, if you don't know what you're going to do? And here's some statistics that maybe are skewed in a little bit different direction because, you know, we tend to hear, well, this is the salary of somebody who's college educated, and this is the salary of somebody who's not. Mm -hmm. Well, those are two, I mean, that's a very broad spectrum, right? Because on this hand here of the people who aren't, who don't have a college education, you're grouping fast food workers, you know, grocery store baggers, you know, entry level positions in, into the skilled trades as well, because a lot of them go to trade school or start off as an apprentice. They don't go the traditional college route. And that brings those average median wages down. Right. So it doesn't paint the whole picture. That's yeah, true. And so, you know, I, I really wanted to break that out and show people, okay, this is your college education. This is the average, right? What it's going to cost you. This is what you can realistically expect when you graduate compared to what if you started off as an apprentice at 18? What if you went to trade school? How can you compare the wages? And I've got some really interesting graphs and tables in the book that actually break out you know, the median wages that you can expect if you take one route compared to the other. And it's unbelievable. I mean, you look at it and, you know, the the apprentice that's been working for four years after high school compared to the college graduate, you know, four years after high school, the apprentice is leaps and bounds ahead of where the college graduate is. Mm -hmm. You don't hear that narrative, Dan. Nobody no. fucking talks about that. No. You know? No. So, so that, you know, that's like the preface of the book. That's how it starts. And then we go into, okay, well, what are some of the benefits of it? Monetary, obviously, but what are some of the other benefits that we don't often hear about? You know, I try to just tie it all together so people have a full picture and, and they can make an educated decision. Look, they don't choose the trades. Fine. At least they'll know about them. Yeah, that's true, Josh. I mean, I think, I mean, I, I 
you're probably experienced the same thing, but as the year at the, as the years go on and people become more educated with college degrees that they're not using, um, the more frequent it is to interview an apprentice who's never turned a wrench that has a college degree and a hundred thousand dollars in debt. It's just almost commonplace now, right? They go spend four years, get a degree, realize it's not what they want to do and realize that actually working with my hands is what I love to do. And I know when we talk about the trades, we're talking about being a technician, but there's so many other positions in the trades um, that, you know, marketing for creative people, there's customer service, there's dispatching, there's, uh, I can go on and on managing, um, bookkeeping, there's all mm -hmm. these different areas in the trades. And I really think it's uh, part of it. What we're talking about is yes, turning a wrench and making the world a better place, but even just coming into a trades environment and coming into a great small company who has good values and wants to see you grow. And really that, that that's also fulfilling because you, you know, you are, you are like what you're doing is making a difference, right? You're seeing that it's more than just a paycheck. And so let's talk more about that. Some more tangibles that that's making the world a better place and being a part of something bigger than yourself. What are some other things that you talk about besides the money that is beneficial for coming into the trades? Yeah, there, there's there's a few things. So, you know, you get into life skills, right? And um, which is big. And and I need people to to understand what I'm saying here. Um, it was probably five. No, oh, geez, gosh, what year is it? It's probably 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago now, I lived next to a, a family that had young kids. This was before I had kids, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and I remember one day, you know, I saw the kid in my driveway, you know, uh, my neighbor's son in my driveway. His name was Bryson. And um, he, uh, uh, he was riding his bike and it was laying in my driveway and the chain came off, right? The chain came off about super simple fix yeah. right pop the chain back on and that kid's face lit up he was so happy that he could ride his bike again and all i did was put the chain back on his bike and so this is the analogy that i give how many people out there today know how to put a chain back on a bike i think that people would be surprised at how low that number is because i've seen it you know i mean people don't know how to pick up a screwdriver people don't know how to turn a wrench people and and listen you don't have to be a technician, you don't have to be a superstar, right? But I mean, I mean, shit, you should be able to do something. Yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? There's there's pride in that. If you want to own a house, own a business, uh, own a car, I mean, if you want to, if you want to be able to provide, if that's in your nature, right? You've you've got to learn and know some of these skills, valuable, valuable life skills. Uh, if for nothing else, uh, for your neighbor's kid, you can put the chain back on their bike, you know? So, so that's one of them. Um, travel is a big one. People love to travel. They, they have no idea how much travel can be involved in the skilled trades. I was talking to a, uh, uh, a compressor technician, a compressed air technician. I don't even know if uh, people know that those, those trades exist, but there's uh there's compressed air technicians. They sent him to Russia because he was the only one that could work on a specific machine. So literally paid his entire way to Russia. I heard people, uh, stories about people going to Australia. I've got a story of somebody in my company who we sent them to, um, you know, we're in Arizona. I don't know if you know what Phantom Ranch is. Phantom Ranch yeah. is a resort at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, 
right? And oh, I do know. I do know. Yeah. So know. for a long time, yeah, there was like a like years, a wait list for years that oh, yeah. you know you had to be on. They had since gone to a raffle system now, but it's still a once in a lifetime thing. We had to fix a grill at at the you know at, at the the phantom ranch because we were the asa for the manufacturer there's only two ways to get down there dan either by donkey or by helicopter and yeah. i was really volleying for the helicopter because i thought it'd be really cool if we could get a shot <laughs> of that for for, <laughs> for the business but uh he had to go down on a mule which is fine too we got pictures of that but uh but i mean people don't know where the trades can take them right yeah and the final final thing that i'll say on that which is kind of what we were wrapping on earlier before the show is that you are right people you know they they want to change the world mm-hmm. you know they they want to make an impact they want to they want to do something for their community for society but they don't think of the skilled trades in that light and this this blows my mind dan you know because they 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 think oh well i can change the world through technology well, maybe that's true, but I don't know. Have you seen the news lately? Like, you don't want to be a Twitter employee or a fucking Facebook employee right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But in the same breath, if you want to change the world, why wouldn't you look at the industries that actually manufacture it? Yeah. Like, you know, this is, it's, it's what I call the white noise syndrome, right? That sock on the dryer, or the penny on the dresser. You don't even know it's there anymore. The skilled trades are looked at the same way. You take for granted every time you plug in your phone to, to charge it, or mm-hmm. every time you wash your hands or, you know, all this stuff that makes up society and makes up civilization that keeps us healthy and alive, you know, is all taken for granted. And people don't realize that these industries I mean, what they do for the world. So why wouldn't anybody who wants to change it be part of that? Mm, that's good. That's good. And that really touches on, you know, the next generations coming up is they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And a trades trades can do that. And uh, it, it is very gratifying to uh, go out and, and to fix something that's broken and see somebody's uh, reaction to that, the joy that comes from that it brings a lot of joy to your life as well, you know, and there's, and there's so many different areas of the trades that you can do that. I love the story about the grand Canyon. Cause I've actually hiked down there and been, and been down there. I, I didn't stay there, but I got to see the phantom ranch and it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty amazing. I think it, until you get down in the grand Canyon, you don't realize just how beautiful it is. Um, Pictures don't do it justice, justice no. do they? I mean, you no, just, they just can't, you can't. That brings a whole nother, uh, a whole nother issue though. If you forget the parts. <laughs> that's, that's true that's that's true or you know, listen you forget that you forget a screwdriver oh that's up back at the van oh shit <laughs> yeah it's a long that's a long trip down to the spy house so josh any any suggestion for people listening who maybe have a kid they want to they want to probably you know are encouraged to get into the trades or maybe maybe somebody's listening who's like you know what i'm tired of doing what i do and i want to get in the trades um is there kind of a first step that they should take that uh that you recommend yeah, you know, I think a lot of people in my position would say trade school, but I'm not going to say that. Yeah. Um, trade school is a good option, you know, if you've got the funds, if you can, if you can do it, that's fine. That'll build some good fundamentals. Mm-hmm. But I happen to believe the best thing that you can possibly do is as much research as possible to to figure out what trade you might be interested in, mm-hmm. and then go knock on the door of a local company, mm-hmm. right? Go go knock on the door of a plumber of an HVAC 
uh, company of an, uh, an electrician, right? And say, listen, I'll do whatever it takes. I just want to learn the trade. Do you know how 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 often we hear that? Basically, never. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now, if like if, if there was if there was a kid right out of high school and he knocked on my door more than once and said, listen, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll start taking out the trash. I'll, I'll run parts to people. I'll do whatever. I just want to get into this business and and work my way up. I'd be like, all right, let's go. Let's do it. You know? And because we don't, number one, we need people. We need hungry people. We need driven people. We need people that are, are, are humble and willing to work. Right. And, and you don't come across that every day. Um, and in this, these industries, they're growing so much faster than we can find people. If we're able to bring somebody on and, and teach them, yes, it's an investment up front, obviously, but the right character mm-hmm. when, you know, is, is so invaluable, you know, to the organization. And I would argue that if somebody is knocking on your door, not applying, you know, but literally knocking on your door, even if they didn't see an application or a job ad or anything like that, saying, I want to work, you got to really consider <laughs> like that's that's a green flag if I've ever seen one. You know what I mean? So that's that would be my recommendation to people. And listen, not everybody has that thought process. So if you go to one plumber and they say no, go to another and go to another. Somebody, I promise you, somebody's going to say yes. That's it. And a lot of people don't have that mindset because of a past experience, you know, because maybe they hired a kid and trained him up and then got, and then that kid left, you know? And so, and it goes back to what you said earlier on the podcast about the the way you built leadership credibility in a name is that you just kept showing up. You didn't let the past stop you from the future, even mistakes that you made, you just learned from it and grew from it. And that's what I want to encourage the audience to do that. Hey, look, if you're listening to this and you, and you've taken that risk on that kid and they just ended up leaving, you know what? Go back and do it again because you never know when you're going to find that right person who potentially one day may run your business for you. you well, know? That's absolutely true. And I would challenge them too to take it one step further and change that mindset and say, what did you do to contribute to the success of that person that left? Because even if you're used as a step, stepping stone for them to get to where they need to be to be happy, mm. man, I mean, that's a reward. Right. Don't don't be upset about that. Just like you said, move on to the next one. Right. But feel good about what you what you taught them. That's true. That's true. And there's so much to learn in the trades. There's this. Yeah. Geez, you know, like years and years and you're still learning 20 plus years and I'm still learning. Right. It's just everything's always changing. Technology is yeah. coming in. It's just a exciting place to be. So, uh, Josh, in closing, I just have one more question for you. And you may have already touched on some of this, but if, if something else comes to mind, just share it with us. But thinking back to, you know, early on in your childhood to where you're at today, like what's one thing that you know today that you wish you would have known when you started um, early on? Like if you could have rewind and do it over again, what's, what's, what's something that comes to mind there? Um. I would say probably never think you know it all. Listen, and this is speaking more to my teenage years, right? When I thought I did know it all, (laughs) because I think that all of us kind of go through that. But, you know, if, if me today were to confront that kid, that'd be, that'd be what I, what I'd tell him. I'd say, listen, (laughs) listen, I know you think, you know, but you have no idea. So stay humble. Stay hungry and 
always, always, always learn everything that you possibly can, both in success and in failure. Hmm. I'm glad I asked you that question, Josh. That's really good. That's really good. You know, it's, it's everybody has something to teach you. And when you're willing to accept that, whether it's good or bad, right? And you pay attention to that. That's when you really start to grow. Because I, I think you do hit that point in your career, especially when you have a lot of success in it, that you reach this point where you're like, wow, I mean, I'm I'm here, I'm doing it. Um, sometimes that can close your ears a little bit to, to actually learning more from the people around you. So that's a really good wisdom that you're sharing there. Um, how can the audience... Uh, learn more about your book or or just learn more about you. Yeah, so I'm uh I'm all over social media. Uh you can you can find me at, at Josh Zolan everywhere. Just got on TikTok. Uh I blame that on my my marketing director. He's been bugging me forever. So we'll see how <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh dipping my toe in Twitter a little bit and uh fair warning, I'm I'm pretty candid uh, on, on Twitter, but, uh, my mainstay is LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I've got a, got a ton of information on LinkedIn. You can always go to, uh, bluesthenewwhite.com as well. I've got all my, uh, podcast stuff in one place and, uh, wcecommercial.com if you're interested in, um, what I do on the business side. Good deal. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a pleasure to, Dan- to chat with you, get to know you better, man. Thanks for having me. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure and we'll have to, we'll have to do it again sometime. Awesome. Well, if you like what you hear, which if you've gone this long, you definitely like what you hear. You listen to the whole podcast. (laughs) Definitely uh, subscribe and share this with a friend. You know, we're wanting to grow this organically and we're wanting to uh, really put our best foot forward to help you grow in your leadership, which we know growing growing anybody's leadership is going to help grow their home environment, their business, all the above. So, uh, Josh, it's been awesome getting to know you. Um, Thanks again for coming on and have a good day. No, you too, Dan. Thanks a lot.